I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're in danger of you having told me all the news before we actually, before we actually <laughs> get started. That's why Gabe Burton never met anybody before they were done the late <laughs> That was his rule. Well, now that you've mentioned him, I was going to ask you about him because, of yeah. course, since we met last Gayburn has only recently been lost to everybody. I think mm. everybody felt that loss. But particularly, I suppose, for somebody like you, where a performance on The Late Late Show so early in your career would have been, and I presume was, like monumental in terms of your standing and making you. And Oh, absolutely. 33 years ago was the first time mm. I appeared on The Late Late Show. And like that, um, it was the beginning of so many careers in Ireland, mm. you know. You were on the Late Late Show and that was it, it set you up. But Gay Byrne also took an active interest, I think, in, in young acts and new acts. And he, and he actively promoted me, like at the time, among so many others. I mean, if you take people like Brendan O'Carroll, probably first came to public attention mm-hmm. on the Late Late, uh, Father Ted, um, Derek Morgan. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Derek Morgan started like doing the idiot inside in the, in the Late Late Show studio. And from there, it all blossomed. And so many singers, musicians and players and comedians and everything came through there. They did, but like I can see obviously why he would have uh, loved your voice and all that sort of thing. But like, did you have a connection with him? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, Yeah. even from the very beginning. Yeah, he would like... um, we used to send each other Christmas cards and things like that, which is probably unusual, you know, but we kind of struck up a friendship with him. I did a few radio things with him early on mm-hmm. where we went off on weekends and he used to do Christmas specials and, and wow. things like that. So that way, and I suppose because Kathleen uh, Watkins, his wife, was was a fine musician herself and she was always sending me messages, you know, about you should try this song or you should do that song. And sometimes she'd be giving me voice lessons, telling me that I was slightly flat or slightly sharp on something that I had sung. <laughs> no. But oh, yes. But all in the best spirit because yes. it was done naturally. She didn't yes. mean it as... She, she, she meant to help me. So she said, watch your intonation, you know, when you're hitting some of these things, you know, which is great, you know. That's like, like what a singing teacher yeah. would do, you know. Um, collegial, in a collegial way, what, what kind of a chat did you have with Gay? Like when you said he never met people before he was going to interview them. Exactly so that they wouldn't have all the beans spilled yes. in the lobby. Yes, I get yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, he had that sort of collegial relationship between yourself and himself. Yes. That? Yeah. He was always very natural anytime. I mean, I frequently met him in, in RTE because I spent a lot of time there in the early days. Mm-hmm. Both in Lyric, uh, like what was the precursor of Lyric FM, Jane Carty was a well-known right. producer there at the oh. time. And Jane Carty was another person. She was the other pillar of RTE that stood by me at the very beginning. And uh, probably my first recordings were with Jane for, for because her Because, of course, choice. the studios were right next to the Cork School of Music. Absolutely, you know, yeah, so yeah. you would have been going in yes. to sing, I presume just going in next door. I mean, like... <laughs> We were already already made fodder for for Jane in, in yeah. those in those days, yeah. but 
But yeah, how wonderful it was And that? also up in RTE. I mean, and then when you were in RTE, you were meeting all these people all the time. So you'd meet Gabo, you know, yeah. on the corridor or wherever, and he'd stop and have a chat and how are things going and what you should do is this and what you should do is that, which is great. Yeah. You know, and it's one thing that I fear for young musicians today in that they find it very difficult to get the, the platform mm-hmm. in the media you know, Pavarotti always said the most important thing is be heard. Be heard. And you see, it's very difficult now. And I mean, I'd want to give out about cooks and all that. But watching television now and all, almost make you fat because there are so many cookery programs, cookery segments and everything. And, you know, if they just took one and gave it to the up and coming musicians, I mean, you can't turn I mean, I'm talking about BBC... RT, if you watch BBC or ITV or Channel 4 on a Sunday morning, for example, every channel has the same thing, which are generally cookery shows or cookery segments or whatever. I figure just one segment given over to young musicians, you know, would be a wonderful thing because before we had the music shows, but they stopped making those because they were too expensive. In RTE and uh, there isn't a perceived <clears throat> return for them financially. That's yeah. the thing, and you know, but, so but, much comes down to finance that but way. You look but at the revenue in this country that comes in from entertainment; it's yeah, incredible. It is. I true. mean, even the small tour now that I'd be doing in the scale of what goes on. I mean, probably every night there are probably thirty people employed one way or another. You know, and then if you consider hotels, restaurants, I mean, if I go into the opera house, immediately all the restaurants around there, some of the hotels will benefit from that. The bars. You know, the coffee shops and all that sort of thing, which is the way the world works. It's great. Citizen, you already know. Yeah, that's so true. But from the publicity point of view for the country as well. I mean, we're quite happy to take all the publicity that goes with you two or whoever it happens to be. You know, mm. <laughs> but uh, but we have to nurture. Like, where's the next Christy Moore? Where's the next Bono? You know, where are they? And it's not enough to put them on. You know, kind of reality shows and 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 X factors and these things. That only suits a very small percentage of people, because a lot of musicians are very sensitive. They're not the kind of people to go out and fight onto the platform, you know, and dig everybody else with their elbows to get out there. Not in the early stages, it's tough. No, and even in the later stages, an awful lot of musicians are very introverted. It's part of that parcel very often of creativity and and expression and you know it 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 happens for all artists you know whether they're painters or musicians or poets or whatever they tend to be more introverted not as commercially minded you know not with the elbows out they kind of believe in what they do and they nurture it and build it and and all that and some of the finest musicians you know cellists that you see you see how intense they are like yeah. the important thing for them is is their expression and and their technique and all that, and they don't want to be thinking like how what price is the ticket, you know, who's going to promote this? That's why we have promoters like Pat Egan and all these people who do a great job, you know. But they're a different; they have a different mindset, you know. Not even to get into their books. <clears throat> That's it. And again, it comes back to being heard. To being heard. Yeah. Because, you know, and and the morning after I first appeared on the Late Late Show, immediately I remember I had Morris Cassidy, who was one of the top promoters in Ireland at the time, knocking on the door. Okay. You know, and I met Morris only recently. We had a great chat about days gone by. Of course, he took over Riverdance and did the business of all that and, and was very successful at it. But Morris in the early days was very much involved in putting on plays and drama 
and musicians, mm-hmm. myself, Phil Colt, or people like that, promoting our music and and all that sort of. So they're vitally important, but they unless they hear you, they're not going to act on it. You know. <laughs> you are used to speaking, and like you speak so well when it comes to talking about yeah. not just the music, but the business and the touring and everything like that. But, like, are you at heart an introverted person? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Forcing yourself out Yeah, there? well, it would never have come naturally to me. I mean, even being on stage and that wouldn't come naturally to me. Now, when I get out there and everything is in place and all that, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Or I grew to enjoy it. But at the beginning, it was daunting. And, you know, like you're, you're given this voice as a gift from God or wherever, you know. And, you know... It, you must you must do something with it, or people want you to do something with it. Mm. Um, but it's it doesn't very often come naturally to people. That's why I say that these reality shows and X Factors and and star of whatever you know, it is it doesn't always help the right people. I believe, you know. Now the fish kills and things are different. I mean, I was very grateful. I started in the fish Matthew and Cork and. You know, cut my teeth there, got the bit of experience of standing on stages and being judged and all that. Mm-hmm. Went on to do the Feshke Hall in Dublin and was successful there. And But that was different because there was no... <clears throat> it really was a judgment of quality and, and how well you could deliver and how, how you managed your instrument or your voice or, you know, violin or whatever it happened to be. Um, but these these uh, terribly commercial, garish kind of rough and tumble sort of reality shows, I think are the opposite of what I would have wanted to see. You know, I wouldn't want to have been on there trying to, you know. Well, I suppose it's an artificial hot pot. And in one sense, there's such an emphasis on each performer presenting what's known as like the full package immediately. And it doesn't let anybody grow. It doesn't let them show the little glimmer and let that kind of grow organically. It has to kind of be created. And then they're terribly disappointed when it doesn't actually. And it very often it's not their fault. You know, because I mean, I started in the Triscoll Arts Centre, for example, Mm. at the time, maybe it held 90 or 100 people, you know, and uh, and it was wonderful because you build your confidence and then suddenly you move on to a venue that maybe holds 200 and and you build your craft and, you know, and uh, it just grows organically then and and hopefully uh, and hopefully become successful, which in my case was brilliant. I mean, I was delighted and all it all just grew and grew and grew all the ways along, you know. And meetings and connections and that sort of thing have always been important along that journey. And we mm. talked the last time about how the three Irish tenors came together because yes. it was just before your 20th anniversary tours yeah. is when we spoke. Yes, when yes, we spoke yes, last, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you were kind of <coughs> heading off. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was a great year. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great year. Yeah. yeah, it was 20 years with the with the Irish tenors, which is which is a long time, and I'm taking a back seat from it now, so I have But I think stopped. that was, yeah, I think yeah. that was also kind of an organic thing to do after 20 years, to breathe yes. just a little bit, yes. you know. I mean, yeah. like, you, you talked about Triscoll there. I mean, like, you literally, I don't know, do you ever do any small, intimate venues like that anymore? Stadiums and the well, concert Well, I do, no, I do, I do a lot of small venues, really, because even as part of this tour, I'm doing a church concert now for a friend of mine in Waterford, in the in the church of Saint Benilda, Saint Joseph, and Saint Mary, which is a wonderful day. Like <laughs> I don't Ooh. think they need me. They have, <laughs> they have three saints already down there. So um, 
Uh, he's fatherly in power and he's down in Waterford. He was a classmate of mine in Maynooth and I'm doing a, a concert for him now. So I love those venues as well. It's different and, you know, that's a fundraiser. I mean, essentially yeah. for for to, the upkeep of churches, that was a big problem. You know, it's a big problem because uh, the, the, the community isn't there anymore to support a lot of these beautiful buildings that we have, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I've done a few in Mayfield and Cork as well. I've done two concerts up there. You know, beautiful venue, like a beautiful church and a beautiful venue for a concert because it's it has no pillars, you know, it's wide open. So that's you're still presenting your intimate venue chops there to me. Because, yeah. But really, <laughs> on, on most of the stuff on this tour, to be fair, it, you know, you are doing the bigger venues, yes, the yeah, INEC, yeah, the Opera yeah, House, yeah. which has sold out. And obviously, yeah. so I suppose really in terms of people seeing you on this tour down south, the INEC is the one where they can only get a chance at the moment. That's right. Well, they, it it was kind of organised late on because the Opera House was on the point mm-hmm. of selling out. So Pat Egan said, I'd like to do a concert in the INEC. So hopefully, once we have enough people to clap, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go over. But, you know, you started saying there a minute ago, and I sort of inter- interrupted, yeah. um, that you were kind of taking a little bit of a step back after 20 years with the tenors. Well, I just find, I find traveling in the United States now in particular is very difficult. I think there's a change of atmosphere there, which probably came with Donald Trump. And uh, it's it's a more violent, I think, more dangerous society. I mean, you know, the whole proliferation of of gun violence and, and all that alone is just daunting, you know. And I dread the day that some concert venue, for example, will be targeted, which inevitably it will. I mean, it happened in Paris, you know. So, um, and also travel has become, for me, very difficult. I just find it very tiring in the United States, in and out of these airports, like where it takes an entire day now to make even the simplest journey, because you have to be there hours in advance, and then by the time you get through and out the other end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm not griping, it's just that I'm in my 60s now, and... uh, um, I just felt it was time to take a back seat on it. So I've kind of stopped touring in the United States, uh, confining my work really to, to Ireland and England and things like that for the moment where I'm near home. And uh, Well, now you can choose, I suppose. Yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, you, know, absolutely. you don't yeah, yeah. need it <clears throat> as such. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned, of course, Angela, and the thing is that that was a gorgeous performance, actually, on Friday night between yourself um, Angela, your wife, your daughter, Eliana, also, and the orchestra. And I've seen the posters for this tour, yeah. Songs You Love, Finn Barright, and his orchestra. <laughs> so before we come on to talking about the family, tell me about the orchestra. Well, I've always kind of cultivated the, you know, a kind of a, a, a nice ensemble. So essentially, that's what it is. Mm. You know, so we are. We have the string players and uh, we have a wonderful guitarist from Cork, David Keating, that you probably have. Uh, come across and David has worked with me quite a lot uh, over the past years. He's a wonderful player. Uh, he recorded with me as well, and um, and then we have Kean Sweeney, wonderful accompanist and and musical director from Glenmire, and uh, he also has a different life in that he's uh, I think it's called the Thousand Beasts or something is a kind of a pop thing that he does. <laughs> Don't ask me about that. <laughs> but he's he's wonderful to work with. I mean they're all Irish musicians, yeah. you know, which is great. Yeah. And uh 
And so like managing so, uh, that we talked before about how with the three tenors, you were laughing that was more yourself and Anthony did all the harmony because Ronan just liked to come in and do the melody. <laughs> when it comes along to talking about um, orchestral arrangements and all that yeah. sort of thing, are you really hands on or do you let Kian deal with that? Um, well, I have a good library over the years. Yeah. You know, I've worked with a lot of great arrangers. Mm. I mean, obviously, going back to Phil Coulter, Mike Bat. Yes. Who was probably one of the most colourful arrangers I ever and had. And have done loads <laughs> together, haven't you? And we chat away you know, on, on, on social media quite a bit. All right. Uh, because Mike is kind of half half retired, I suppose, at this stage, if he ever retires. But uh, but he did some great arrangements mm. because he's very kind of dangerous. He liked to live dangerously with the orchestras and that and did, did unusual things. But um, so I had a lot of uh, arrangements from right back over the years, you know, people mm-hmm. like Andy O'Callaghan as well as a great arranger. So, I mean, that's, you know, I'm hands on with all that because I'm very careful about what, what's done and how it's done and all that sort of thing. You have to be. Yeah. And I suppose I know Angela sings a lot on tour with you. Is Ileana touring on this? She's on this tour as well. Yeah, yeah. Super. I call them the Bellini sisters. All right. <laughs> I like their style. I don't know so, them, but I like their style. Well, they're both. I mean, Angela trained as a uh, as a singer. That's how we first met. I suppose really in the Cork School of Music. All right. She trained with Bobby Bear as well. So, <laughs> and uh, Ileana just has a very natural voice mm-hmm. you know she's a natural musician and and of course she's studied all these instruments and things as well so so they they see it as a big laugh really you know they enjoy it it's great fun and uh, I just inveigled them into doing it first day just just for a bit of fun but but then it became fairly professional yeah. and you know it's, isn't it's, it gorgeous it's there is really something very special about singing together I mean and do you oh, yeah. do you manage to kind of separate the personal and business or does it become very enmeshed the kind of the the job aspect of it and still traveling as a family yeah it's all it's all enmeshed yeah it's a good word for it yeah (laughs) um who's the boss it's kind of oh well you need to ask (laughs) um it's um it's great it's it's great for me because i have them traveling with me all the time and, and it makes life a lot easier you know and uh, because concerts are complicated businesses, you know, I mean, they are very much more complicated maybe than than the casual, you know, uh, audience member would, would think, you know. And one of the big problems for concerts now, like so many businesses in Ireland, is insurance. Mm. And that's one of the things that always, you know, liability insurance and all that sort of thing is a, is a big cross to bear for a lot of young musicians who want to go out there as well. You know, so all that area, when the politicians come knocking on your door, you might ask them about liability insurance because it's affecting every business. It really is. Restaurants, bars, anything, and events in particular, to the point that people no longer can put out events because they can't cover the costs of of public liability insurance, which is a terrible shame. You know, really, even summer festivals and all that have have fallen by the wayside because of it, you know. So You know, there's kind of a couple of times there now in the course of our chat that you have come out with not specifically things to yourself, but kind of overall umbrella observations on the industry and each thing that you've spoken about, you've been super passionate about, (laughs) um, but also constructive in what you would envisage or what you would advise. Like, is there a forum for which or through which that can be expressed and explored and supported. I mean, like you obviously would have a lot to give 
Yeah, I suppose we need some kind of a musicians convention, yeah, that would deal with these things. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that IMRO and various organizations like that get involved, you know, but it it is difficult for young people. I know that people have asked me along the way, you know, we want to put on a concert or whatever, but we're worried about the insurance. Where should we go? Now, I can only refer them to my own insurance company and say, look, try them and see what they'll say to you, you know. But but it is it is difficult, and it's a pity because you know I suppose it was a great long ago. Everything was kind of natural, you know, and and people didn't really sue in this country, and it, it, we didn't have that culture. Now it's a different scenario, and like you're talking big numbers, millions and millions for mm. things, you know, sometimes justifiably. I'm not saying they're not justified, but uh, but it is a different culture, you know. I mean, they see that in in all walks now, whether it is medicine or, or yeah. You know, and just in be- schools, you see it all the time in schools. Mm. You know, it's a it's a problem. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. It's part of the tapestry of the business of show business. And these are things that impact on everybody's career, you know, if you're trying to. Well, I I just, I suppose I always see it from the point of view of young musicians Mm. starting off. And I think that's vital because for, you know, for the whole thing to survive and to thrive and that you you have to look after the young people coming along. I mean, we're blessed here with the Cork School of Music producing so many fabulous musicians every year. And all those people I speak about, mm. Keen Sweeney or, or, or any of the others, I mean, they've all come through the doors of the Cork School of Music. Excellently yeah. educated and, and prepared for a world of music and all that. And it's important that they get the chance that they get the chance that I would have gotten and that so many other musicians, you know, if you go back along, Mary Hagerty, Carol Sullivan, all these, we all came through, through Magellan McCullough, we all came through the same but doors. True. <laughs> and, and like, to be clear, the Cork School of Music concerts, between the Masters programme, the recitals, yes, you know, there's yeah, yeah. a wealth of things happening, yeah. but it also, it's not just to be given the chance for an audience also to take the chance and go and see them. Yes, you know, there's, yes. Because you know, it's, it, yeah, it's yeah. hard to always push these things. And like, so it would be one of the reasons why I would say that people should definitely look up things like the Cork Orchestral Society. Yes. See what's coming in yes. and, yeah, yeah. and stay in touch with it. Um, now, you obviously were talking about coming through the School of Music and now you're travelling with uh, Angela and Eliana. Yeah. Has Eliana changed, by the way, any of the music that you think of singing? You know... You have talked before about mm. singing, let's say, the Great Irish Songbook, especially yes, when yeah. you're on tour in the States, yeah. and maybe doing different things. Yeah. Well, they're always suggesting, you know, because yeah. they, they'll, or, or sometimes they're doing the opposite. They're saying, oh, not that thing. Don't okay. sing that. Yeah. Terrible. You know, which is fine. But but I've always had a very open kind of uh, repertoire anyway. You know, yeah, really. from the Italian to yes. Spanish to Irish to... to Leonard yeah. Cohen, whoever, yes. whatever it happens to be, you know, yeah. which is great. And like this time I'm introducing a song that the Gypsy Kings would normally sing, you know, Bamboleo, which is always one that I've loved. And we're going to do it this time, which is going to be great fun. So it's a very, it's a very broad repertoire, you know. 
But, you know, the important thing is that people, when they come, they enjoy it. And, you know, that's the way I view it always. You get this two hours of a window when people can forget about mm. elections and Brexit and Mexit and For all, sure. <laughs> all the other For things. Sure. And uh, one of the great things about being a musician is that you do become part of people's lives mm. unwittingly, usually. You know, but you do become part of people's lives and they, they associate things that you sing. And you, like, you might know nothing about it, but it's part of their family history. Like recently, Neil Tobin died, for example. Uh, I sang at his funeral, which is a great honor because he was a magnificent actor. And um, and Brian Darcy was doing the Mass and all that. And Brian reminded us during the Mass that 17 years ago, maybe 17 or 18 years ago, I had sung at Neil Tobin's wife's funeral. And on her gravestone, she had put through light and darkness, through all time to be, which is a line from the song Because, which is my first album. Yeah. Now, she was a great fan of mine. And, uh, and uh, uh, Neil Tobin used to say, I know the choice, but to listen to the effort because, <laughs> <laughs> because my wife is a huge fan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, uh, and that's an example yeah. of just becoming part of somebody's life almost unwittingly. But I thought it was brilliant that he now has that on his headstone as well, obviously. Through light and darkness, through all time to be, which is so. And I sang because he asked, he actually asked that it be included in his funeral service. So I actually sang because as part of the mass, which is you know, which is wonderful. I mean, his family were great; they really did celebrate the whole thing. They were celebrating his life, and his son got up and spoke from the altar, and like you could have been listening to Neil. He was just as funny and the same inflections in the voice and, and everything. But uh, but he was a proud son of Cork and we should really celebrate him. I think we kind of forgot about him a bit because he kind of moved to Dublin early on and people almost thought he was a Dublin man. But he was very much a Cork man and an outsider, you know, all his life. And uh, and it was great. No, it was a real privilege to, to sing at that. And like you said, at various points in concerts, I'm sure people come up to you backstage or afterwards and say, oh, Finbar and such and such a song. And it's been in their family mm. or it was their wedding song or something like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've had terribly sad, sad stories. Oh. <laughs> but uh, but positive at the same time. I mean, there was I remember a woman writing to me and I had been on, I think, the Late Late Show at the time. And I had sung, I think it was Some Enchanted Evening. And uh, and she said she was sitting there with her husband and they'd watched it. And he was he loved the song. Her husband loved the song. And she said he was in bed that night and all he could talk about was my singing of the song and how wonderful it was and everything else. And of course, you know what happened. He died during the night. Oh, my <laughs> God. When she wrote to me and it was the most beautiful letter because she said, like, thank you for, you know, for you, you made his last... Oh, we're so happy, you know. <laughs> and that's the shocking, you know. And there that's was the three in the bed there. That's like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. wow. But that's what I talk about. It's a great privilege. And yeah. that's, again, a message I would give to young musicians coming out. Like, you know, you can actually mm-hmm. make a huge difference in people's lives, you know, because, because music is very much part of the tapestry mm-hmm. of who we are. And, you know, and people hear a song and immediately it's going to transport you to moments in your life or maybe boyfriends or girlfriends mm. or you know or anything you know it just immediately transports you 
and and music is you know it is it is it has huge power it has huge power you know it's food for the soul that's one of the phrases that was ringing with me a while back when you were talking about you know breakfast television and other you know magazine programs where Mm. there's so many cookery slots (laughs) they need a bit more food for the soul (laughs) rather than food for the belly this tour though it isn't just yourself and Angela and Ileana did I see in some one of the venues Leslie Garrett Leslie Garrett yes Leslie I was talking to her only yesterday where is she Uh, she's Yorkshire or she's a Yorkshire lass as she says she's in the Borgosh Theatre she's a special guest there so she's coming over for that. So that'll be that'll be good fun. Exciting. She, oh, she's a great character. She's I, a great time I've seen yeah. her talk or anything like that, she just seems to be like a bundle of uh, <laughs> mischief, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, in she's a lot, a lot of mischief, a lot mm. of mischief, yeah. But uh, years ago when I was recording um, some one of the albums, I think Lift the Wings it was, and there was a song, a duet, Amigos para Siempre. Mm. And um, Leslie was to record that. But at the last minute, uh, she got some kind of a throat infection or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and Suzanne Murphy's uh, stepped in and recorded it in her in place. But uh, So hopefully we'll get to do Amigos para siempre in the, in the board gosh. <laughs> and have, have you sung with her on stage live before? No, I've never so sung with her before. Isn't that this is the first. Yeah, yeah. But you still you know, have yeah, those new yeah. experiences because, yeah. like, after 20 years touring, like literally touring the world, mm. you know, singing everything from... Well, I've been mean, 30, 30 years, actually. I've been 30 years touring. Yeah. yeah. But the first 10 years was all solo. And then the second 20 was the mixture of the Irish debtors and solo. So That's it. Yeah. So 30 years. Yeah. I started in 1990. So, so still being fired yeah. up about new music, <clears throat> new Absolutely. collaborations. And I remember standing in the garden and hearing my first recording being played by Roland Collins. And nearly <laughs> falling over in the spot because I didn't expect it. And we had recorded it just before Christmas. It was all holy night. Mm. And I was actually our first house and I was out doing something in the garden and I had the radio on. And next thing, Ronan Collins says, see what you think of this. And I could hear the opening and I said, that sounds very familiar. And then I heard, heard myself singing. And that, that was the very beginning of my career. It was the first time I think I was played on, on radio and all that. So, yeah, it's a long time now. <laughs> The buzz <clears> of that, <throat> though, for your whole oh, family as well, like, not like just for you. Yeah, yeah, they're once-off experiences. Yeah. They're once-off because yeah. it can never really be repeated. You know, the excitement of hearing yourself being played, and Ronan is still like, even today. I was listening to him in the car coming along. Listen, yeah. the, just this week, isn't it? The show band years in the opera house. Yes, as well. yeah, yeah. So you know, <laughs> quality lasts. Quality lasts. That's, That's it. The thing, That's it. You know, it's not. It's not <clears> just nostalgia. It's. It's. Um. You know, these are timeless. Mm. timeless things and people have a connection with them and and that's why they'll still come back time and time again mm. but like that's what I was saying that for all of that 30 years so never mind 20 <laughs> years that you still have like new collaborations in mind new songs adding into the repertoire you know yeah. new orchestrations and and I'm always excited by new things I recorded Tom Waits the Tom Waits song Tom Trowbert's Blues you know I mean it's a it has the waltzing Matilda chorus coming oh, into it, yes, but it's yes, a kind yes. of a it's a kind of a, a story of the homeless on the street and all that. A very powerful song. I mean, beautifully written. He's a real raw poet, you know, Tom Waits, and uh, a crazy character. I mean, he really is. But uh, but that's a, but I've recorded that song. I mean, uh, you know, I'm always interested in, in new things and new mm. songs and all that. And like, I've never been an advocate of boxing things too mm. much you know 
because I believe in like you have good music, you have bad music, you know, it's as simple as that. And, and you can mix them and audiences like that. You don't have mm-hmm. to stand. Like when I started out and I started singing classical repertoire because that's what I was doing. And then when I went into the encores, I'd sing a few daft things, like maybe sort of the border. And I suddenly realized there was a huge reaction to mm-hmm. these things. And then I started mixing the material a bit more, you know, like the ingredients of the cookery show. <laughs> Come back then to Tom Waits, because like all the lyrics are just amazing. Every story he tells mm. is earthy, uh, dark. There's always a dark side. Yeah, they're or, you fairly know, dark. Yeah. You know, and his voice is, you know, just full of gravel. Yeah. You know, it's gotten even more gravelly. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't picture you with any of I suppose <laughs> that. So like this it's it's sort of like is it is it a what is it is making you seek out the dark gravel? Are you going to give it a different treatment? Are you seeking the gravel in your own voice? I, I was no no, I was just hooked on it, you know, yeah. as a song lyrically and musically. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and once I was hooked on it, well you see the, the I'll be singing it in in my voice, so it's it's probably a bit cleaner hopefully <laughs> in the sense of like it wouldn't be gravelly hopefully or you know so it's a more kind of you don't growl into your no, hairbrush in the no, morning no, in the bathroom or maybe you do you know we, this could be one of those revelatory interviews you never know well I was laughing because people said to me like what what was one moment in your career if you were to pick it right yeah. so you're talking about unusual connections so I would pick the Cork Opera House right and this was back in the 90s, in the in the early 90s. And we did a Christmas show from there with Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. We did it. We were asked by RT to do a Christmas show. And he was living in Ireland at the time. He was on the run for the tax man or whatever, <laughs> as you would. And, uh, and he was doing a few things in Ireland. And I actually sang White Christmas with Jerry Lee Lewis. Does it get any more rock and roll than that? Wow! <laughs> <clears throat> he was a wonderful gentleman. I can still see him at the at the stage door of the yeah. opera house, which is still there, <laughs> thankfully. And uh, I, I just happened to be inside the door when he came in first, you know, and he had the hair slicked back yes. and, and he had the pipe. He was smoking the pipe at the time. And, and he was, yes, sir, and oh, sir, and everybody was, sir. And he was so polite. Like he was like the antithesis of everything that you would associate with Jerry Lee Lewis. Like you'd expect the chair to come through the door before him or something. But no, and he did all his hits that night in the opera house. They've never had a piano there since. I think he finished that tradition (laughs) because he he played Great Balls of Fire and all those things. He was magnificent, Mm. magnificent. And you could see how he kick-started all that rock and roll business and all that are one know, of, certainly one of the founders you know of all that you must have had <clears> so many of those moments though like though like singing for presidents and singing for hmm. popes and singing with jerry lee lewis and yeah. you know well the singing with they're the important ones because i i singing for people and i'd warn musicians about mm-hmm. getting carried away with that too you know, because a lot of a lot of these presidents and people are quite happy to use musicians and use them as their little props, you know, at the White House and all that sort of stuff. You know, I, I'd be careful about it. <laughs> it's not it's not the gift maybe that it appears to be. Sometimes. You know, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Because you see you you can you can exclude huge segments of your audience very quickly mm. because when you become political you lose something, you know, you lose something of your soul and music when you become political. As and We all have our opinions, mm. 
But my advice to any musician is keep them to yourself. <laughs> yeah, you have a platform, but it's what... Well, you don't want to erect any kind of a barrier between yourself and the listener. Because you and the listener are one in that mm. the music is a circular motion. It's, it's the performer, it's the listener, and it's coming from one to the other. And if you start putting barricades in there of any sort, where people begin to think, ah. Oh. So I'd advise, you mm. know, sup with a long spoon when you're dealing with the presidents I and all oh, these expression. people. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> but my highlights are people I sang with, people like Montserrat Cavalier yeah. and people like that. And she was a glorious woman to sing with, I can tell you that. I mean, she was a lovely woman to meet, warm and charming. And, and you know, I sang with her at the, what's the three arena now? Mm-hmm. It used to be mm, the point, point depot at that time. Yeah. And uh, oh, that was wonderful. I was scared of my life. But I mean, and she was like Queen Victoria, you know, because they, Montserrat was, as everybody knows, was quite heavy, you know. So she couldn't go up and down the stairs behind nice. the thing. So, you know, behind the stage during the performance. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they took her up initially and she had a little, almost like a room. And I still have the picture of her sitting there like Queen Victoria, waiting for her time to come to go back out and perform again or whatever. And she's just sitting there reading something or whatever wow. she was doing. If I was a painter, I'd paint it. But <laughs> Here, you, you never know what direction you're going. But the thing I was going to ask you about in terms of those those moments like you said now, particularly the collaborations with as opposed to performances mm-hmm. for. Do you ever find or did you ever find yourself observing yourself in that moment? How hard is it to capture and be right there in that moment without the voice going, oh, my God, is this happening? <laughs> and, and, and to step outside it. Yeah, it it is difficult. I mean, when you speak about the voice, of course, that's always the thing. You see, to, to, the, to the audience, they expect that this is like, turning on a switch it's mm. one of the hardest things because you may or may not have had a chance to build up a rapport a relationship sometimes yes. ahead of a performance yes yeah, and yeah. you have to really have that connection yes yeah, there yeah. and then well that was very easy with Montserrat Cavalier that that was no problem because yeah. she was she was such a natural musician herself and we did a number of duets and I remember we did Oh, oh Holy Night it must have been around Christmas time or before that um and uh, and she she came to my dressing room before the performance, and all in a flutter and a fright and everything else. She had thought she was going to sing Silent Night. Okay. So she hadn't actually worked on the Oh Holy mm-hmm. Night, and she hadn't. I I don't know how she ever actually sung it in English. I think she'd sung it in French and and uh, probably some variation in Spanish, maybe. So she sat down, and the two of us together went through Oh Holy Night. So here I was teaching Montserrat Camille Oh Holy Night about half an hour before the performance. So I said, if you're in, in doubt, you know, just look at me and I'll sing the verse, you know. Yeah. But she, when it came to it, she just opened her mouth and it was, you know, the most glorious sound. I mean, she was an incredible singer, you know, and really, as you say, mm-hmm. in touch with with the performance and that. But, you know, when you're really in the zone, you forget about everything else that's going on. You become... I suppose, yeah, being <clears throat> in the zone, like even to go back to singing White Christmas with Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah, yeah. where you might not necessarily have had the chats and the crack beforehand. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But right there in the moment of the song is when it's created between you. Like, did you feel 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I could see by him he was enjoying it. Yeah. I remember Andy O'Callaghan actually was conducting that night and we had an orchestra and everything, the concert orchestra. And uh, I could see Jerry Lee was enjoying this yeah. immensely, you know. And then, then everything just flows, you yeah. know, because it becomes like a gang of people in a pub having a sing-song. You know? Come here, do you do any <laughs> pub sing-songs, remember? And where is the next one? <laughs> really? <laughs> can you Can you ever go into a bar, a bar where there's, you know, something on? And I do you have to keep the head down going, oh, God, I want to ask for a song. Oh, yeah. I have to... Well, no, not really. You know, the wonderful thing about Ireland is that people, uh, throughout my career of 30 years now singing, yeah. people never put in or out. Yeah. Really? Whether, whether it is in the supermarket or in the pub or, you know, the odd time you'll meet somebody mm-hmm. who'll say, oh, by the way, like they might be walking out at the same time or something, you know, I enjoy your music or whatever. You know, but Irish people are great like that. Yeah. We don't intrude in other people's, you know, privacy and all that yeah. sort of thing. It's kind of like in America, it's the direct opposite. Okay. You know. You have to be careful and keep your head down. <laughs> keep your sunglasses on. <laughs> because they'll come at you in airports and everywhere. Like everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, but in Ireland, never. Mm. Which is great. I mean, people treat you naturally mm. in Ireland, you know. Do you um, have many more dates now on this tour that are still selling or new new releases? <clears throat> Other ones still selling, yeah, because yeah. some some areas of the country are real last minute merchants, you know, but you know the places mm-hmm. that are slower and the things that people tend to buy closer in and that, which is fine, you know, and not everybody can afford to be, you know, there's, there are a lot of people who don't have a lot of excess money and it's just, well, I they go as it comes, you know, also, if they have the yeah. money on the week of the concert, they'll say, you know, I've got to go and hear this. That's great. Yeah. But <clears throat> it's also after Christmas, you know, yeah, it's starting the year. Time, yeah. But uh, Valentine's Night in the Opera House is sort of like it's brilliant. a yeah. significant it's brilliant. date, let's face yeah. it. Oh, but it's, so, I mean, the Opera House is a, a, a case apart because yeah. the atmosphere and everything there is always so warm and the Cork audience is genuinely... And uh, I'm hoping that Bishop Buckley will come. He nearly always comes to my uh, to my concert, so hopefully he'll he'll find time. He's as busy as ever. He was eighty. Yeah. He was eighty last November. Yeah, I know that because he he actually did us the great honor. He presided at Juliana's wedding oh. in the Holman Chapel on 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 the day of his birthday, which was <laughs> wow. When he was eighty, <clears throat> but uh, he's a great character. Brilliant. But you'll also have a whole lot of Cork people who travel over the border into Kerry, down to Killarney. Hopefully sure, down to Killarney, yeah. And they, yeah. Are, they are offering good deals down there. You know, yeah. you can you can get your overnight and the ticket all in one and all that sort of thing. So hopefully we'll have a good audience down there as well. Yeah, yeah. You surely, surely will. <laughs> um, and if that's 30 years, and if this is what you call taking a step back... <laughs> I'd hate to see you relaxing. <laughs> uh, you get nothing done it's at all, all. It's all good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much. Thanks for calling over to the kitchen and pleasure, the pleasure indeed. And it's lovely and warm in here on this on this <laughs> chilly day. So thank you. Thank you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.